begin with, this is, I believe, this is a picture of how God redeemed man and what happens to us when we are born of the Spirit. These seven days talks about what happened to us and a certain order of, of things that have to happen in order for a person to be born of the Spirit is in this, these passages. It also talks about our calling in these, these days of creation. It also talks about the eternal purpose of God in these days of creation. It also talks about the way we live with God now in these days of creation. I mean, it's awesome. It's packed full of, of understanding and revelation of Christ and, and the ways of God. So let's go ahead and do this. We'll start with uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So it all began with the earth being void and without form and in darkness. Picture a, a, a globe of just water, just, just the seas. And, it's, and no, there's no light, darkness. And the seas are just, are just moving. And the scripture says that out of that chaos, the, the word in the Hebrew is chaos, the Spirit of the Lord began to brood over, that's the Hebrew word, brood over the waters. And when the Spirit began to brood over the waters, then the Word came. The Lord spoke. The Word. Let there be light. You see? That's how it happens with an unbeliever becoming a believer or becoming a born-again person. We are first in darkness. The Scripture says alienated from the life of God, darkened in our understanding. We're, we're not born into this world as children of God. We are born into this world as fallen, as part of a fallen race. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born from above. And we, that happens when we receive the good news of the gospel and the Spirit of God comes into us. And the good news of the gospel, which just in a, in a brief statement, is this. That Jesus himself really is and was the Son of God. And that when he died, he took upon himself the judgment for all our sin, forever. Past, present, future. The judgment for all sin, for all people he took on the truth. And if we believe on him, if we believe on him, if we put our trust in him for, for that forgiveness, if we don't seek to earn our own righteousness and try to be righteous apart from him, if we let go of all our attempts to be righteous and we trust him, that he, and only he, can take away our sin and give us the gift of righteousness. The miracle happens. That's what it means when it says, let there be light. See, the Spirit is calling all people. The Spirit is calling all people, moving. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart, the Scripture says. So the Spirit is moving across the world, calling all people. But the Word is the light. The Word, by the, by the entrance of my Word, light comes, the Scripture says. So in our darkness, it's the word of the gospel, the good news, that brings the light. And if we simply believe on him, the new birth takes place, the miracle takes place. Okay. I hear a lot of times people say, 
they, they preach and they say, um, ask Jesus into your heart. Or they'll say, um, make Jesus, Jesus the Lord of your life. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, come forward. Um, or if you want to surrender all to Jesus, come forward. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, come forward. None of those things that I just said are the gospel. None. Because it calls people to do something. The gospel is not, you know, the call that must go out is not to call people to do something. Surrender, make him Lord, commit to him. That's not the good news. That, that's our problem. We can't make him Lord. We fail. We can't surrender. We can't commit. We can't do it. So the call to go out and do these things is really a frustrating thing to the people that are really seeking truth. Not that God doesn't, it doesn't have to be said just perfectly, and God is bigger than all that. I mean, here's the people on the cross that didn't say anything right according to the, the Christian way to get saved. And he's in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that there is a, a lack of fruitfulness in the call of the gospel when we don't speak clearly and call people not to do, but to believe. But to believe. See, the call of the gospel should be this. Believe. If you will believe on him, if you will believe on this one, for the forgiveness of all your sins, all sins, past, your present sins, and all your future sins, if you will believe on this one, if you will believe, come, come forward and, as an act of faith that you're believing in him, you're trusting in him. If you will believe, you shall receive the forgiveness of all sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the call that needs to go out. In simplicity and clarity. How many people would be like, can it be that good? Can it be that good? See, you're not asking them to do anything. You're asking them to believe on Him. Jesus said, did I not say that if you would but believe, you would see the glory of God? See, it's faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's not calling people to do so that's something that we really need to be clear about when we preach the gospel. The good news is that don't call people to do, but tell them to believe. Help, help them see this awesome love of God that he actually took upon himself the sin of the world, the whole judgment of the world. And if you will believe on him, all your sins will be forgiven. And you shall receive the gift of his own righteousness and the power of the Spirit of God. A new creation will begin. Amen. It's awesome. Amen. Now let's look at this. And hold your finger there, Genesis 1, and let's look at Corinthians. You like Corinthians? Um, let's see, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Yeah, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Awesome, awesome verse here that Paul writes. Awesome verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go to verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3, 2 Corinthians. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If, if it is veiled or if it's hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing. And who's the, in whose case the God of this world, little g, God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Notice that if they become believers, the veil is taken away. See? So because they don't believe... They're able to be blinded. And remember the blindness started in the Garden of Eden. We were born blind. Every human being is born blind. And this is a whole message in itself, but that's what Jesus came to do. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, he said, the Lord has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind. 
among other things. And then Peter called out. And when Paul, when Jesus commissioned Paul, the very first thing he called Paul to do was, I send you forth, Paul, to open the eyes of the blind. See? And Paul also had those scales that seemed to come off his eyes. He was blinded from the glory of, of Jesus himself as a picture of what was happening in the spiritual. And when, when Ananias laid his hands on Paul, his, he said, as like great scales fell off my eyes. And he could see again in the natural. But it was a picture of what was happening to Paul in the spiritual. That his eyes were being opened to God and to Christ and who God really is and who Jesus really is and what his work did. So look at this. This is beautiful. He says in verse 4, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See the light of the good news. Look at this. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And here it is, verse 6. For the same God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness. It's a reference to Genesis, chapter 1. The same God who said, Let there be light, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge or the revelation of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Paul takes the, the, the creation story and says, The same God who said, let there be light, is the same God, the same God, who said, when He said to you, if you will believe on My Son, you too shall be forgiven and receive the gift of righteousness and the power of the Holy Spirit and become a new creation. That same God who said, let there be light. So think about that, saints. The same God before there was anything has shown in your hearts the light of the good news. Which means that the creation story was a picture of the real thing. See, the real thing is the gospel being shown in your heart, of which the way God created was, was but a picture. So now we can look back, as Paul did. Paul said, look, look back at Genesis. When he said the same God that there be light, that's what happened to us. That's the picture, but this is the reality. Isn't that awesome? So beautiful. Okay, so... Oh, it's so beautiful. I still love this verse 7. But we have this treasure... This awesome treasure, this life that has come because we believe the light, the light of the gospel. See, the light of the good news came, and we believed that word. We believed it. So we have this awesome treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Okay, cool. Let's get back to Genesis 1. Okay. So day one is about the light, the light coming, the spirit brooding over the waters, over chaos. And light comes, let there be light. And then the scripture says that was the end of day one. And they always, the scripture says, and that was the evening and there was morning one day. The way they, the reason the scripture says morning and evening, and that's why the Jewish people, they start their day at sunset. The day begins in the evening and goes from there. Instead of us, we used to think about the day beginning in the morning. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Okay, so verse five, verse six. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Okay, this is what happened. So cool. This is the, the earth. That's all water. It's just all water. 
light has come forth. Let there be light. And now this, this light is just, has, its source is God himself. It's not, the sun is not being created yet. This is just light. It, because there, there has to be light first before you can believe. And then when you believe, you receive life. And that's what happened in day two. Day two, God took, say, say for instance, the surface right here of the water on the earth. God said, let the waters, divide the waters from the waters. What he did was he caused this, this huge evaporation, and he put in the sky clouds. He put atmosphere and clouds. And he called this the heavens, and he called this the water below. He created, he, he divided the waters from the waters. Now what this means on day two is that when you believe the light, when you believe the gospel, what happens is you receive life from above. See, that's day two speaks of life, water, life from above. You're now no longer from below. You're from above. Day two. So this is awesome because this is the firmament. Now he called this heaven. The scripture calls about three talks about three heavens. There's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. Paul was taken into the third heaven when he left his body and experienced awesome things from God. The third heaven. The scripture says that the first heaven is this heaven right here. This is the atmosphere. The second heaven are the stars outside of atmosphere. That's the second heaven. The third heaven is another dimension. It's in, it's in the spirit. It's another realm. So that's, that's what it means, first, second, third heaven. Okay, so this is awesome because he has <coughs> those who receive the light. Those who don't remain blinded because of their unbelief and they receive the light. They receive life from above and they are moved to another place. The seas speak of the lost world, people that, are not, that do not have life. They remain below because they do not believe and they did not receive the life, so they remain below. The seas, the oceans, in the scripture speaks of the masses of, of humanity, of lost humanity. In Revelation it says that, that John stood and looked out of the ocean and the beast rose out of the ocean, out of the seas, the beast. This is the, a picture of fallen man trying to, to uh, set up his own structure and politics and religion against Christ and against God. And so... It can't, the beast comes out of the sea. All right, now day three is awesome. This is day two. Look at day three. Ah, uh, James. Yeah. Where did it say heaven in, in your... Uh, let's see. It's verse... Verse eight. And God called the expanse heaven. Mine says, uh, God called space sky, quotation mark. Okay, this is the American Standard? Yeah, I got the... Is that... <coughs> okay. Yeah, I really... You know, you've yeah. you know, heard me say that. I've heard you recommend New American Standard. It's a, it's a closer translation, but... Um, New American Standard? New American Standard. Same translation that Clark uses. It is the closest translation um, of all the translations to the actual Greek and Hebrew, the New American Standard. Um, I, I don't like the NIV because of this, and also because in Romans 7, the NIV does not translate flesh as flesh. It translates it as old nature, and that's totally off. It's actually putting their own, their own doctrine into the translation by saying old nature. But it's actually, the actual Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X, flesh. Translated flesh everywhere else, but they put their doctrine in there, Romans 7. Which makes you think you have two natures, which you don't. So, right, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon? 
in, in uh, verse 8 means the first heaven. That's correct. Verse 8, so you the first heaven, the atmosphere, the clouds. The, the atmosphere we breathe and we look up in the blue sky, that's the first heaven. Second heaven are the stars, constellations, galaxies. And the third heaven is a dimension in the spirit that Paul experienced that he talked about in his letter. Okay. All right, cool. All right, third day. Verse, let's see, this is going to be verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below and the heavens, I'm sorry, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind. With seed in them. I love that. Bearing fruit with seed in them. I once heard somebody say that anybody can count the apples and I mean the seeds in an apple. I mean we can open an apple, anybody can count how many seeds are in an apple. But only God can count the number of apples in a seed. I love that. I mean we can count, you know, we think we're so smart, we can count yes, there are ten seeds in there. God says, How many apples are in the seed? You know, he sees how many trees and fruit and oh my gosh. Okay. Verse 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Now three in the scripture speaks of a revelation of something. And also tends to mean something very important. <coughs> so, what happened on day three? We got the light, the revelation of the gospel. We received the life of Christ. Now, what happens? God calls the oceans to gather away from the land so that the land might appear. See? He pulled the waters back and it caused the land to appear. Many people believe that in the beginning there was just one big landmass like this. And through the work of God, he actually divided the, the nations. And you can actually see, you know, like um, North America, you know, Florida, you got South America here, like that. And you got Africa over here. I mean, you can see the pieces almost fit. You know, where they, they once were together. And he moved the plates of the earth. But in the beginning, it was like one, one land mass. Now, this is awesome. This, is, this is speaks of... Now, keep in mind, the seas are the unbelievers. The land are the believers. What happens to the believers, so to speak? This is what happened to you when you become a believer. Those who don't believe have nothing to stand on. They're in the sea, so to speak. You have a rock to stand on. It's Christ. You're standing on the land. It's also a picture, the promised land was also a picture of Christ. It's all a picture, it's a picture of your, your home, a place, okay? When it came forth, it appeared. It was revealed, okay? The place is revealed to you, and that place is Christ. You begin to understand that I actually live in Him. He actually lives in me. I'm actually His temple. He actually is in me. I'm in Him. So the revelation comes that this is my land. This is where I live. This is the true promised land, the land filled with milk and honey. Now, this is also the same day God created the seed. The seed, the plant kingdom, saints, is awesome. 
The plant kingdom is a, an invisible treatise. Or, let's say this. It's a treatise on the invisible spiritual life and how it works. He made the seed, he made the plant kingdom that just by studying and considering, considering, as Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field, consider creation. If you could just consider the plant kingdom, how it works, revelation will come to us about how spiritual life works and bears fruit. That's why Paul talks about letting our roots go down deep, be rooted and grounded in Christ. That's a reference to the plant kingdom. Then being built up, the plant kingdom. Um, bearing fruit, that's the plant kingdom. And one of the most awesome things about the plant kingdom is that once you plant a seed in a place, it doesn't move from that place. Think about that. When you plant a tiny little acre and an oak tree grows up, that's the same place it was planted years ago. Could have been there a hundred years. What is that telling us? It's saying that when you receive Christ, you don't, you don't have to move from Him. There's no other place to go. There's no other need for anything else. It's Him. He is the seed. Jesus Himself said, I must be like a seed that falls into the ground and dies. See? So, the plant kingdom is awesome. Filled with revelation of the ways of God. For instance, the, the leaves. We talked about this before. The leaves are green. With chlorophyll in the leaves. We call it chlorophyll. We, we put names to this stuff. Um, we put uh, a name like photosynthesis. That's just a name we put to what happens. But what it is, the, the God created the leaves to take light. And light hits the green leaves. And the chlorophyll in the leaf actually turns the light into glucose or sugar. So there's a, there's a chemical reaction that the plant, God made the plants to just receive light. And that's how it's fed. With also nutrients that are in the ground. But it's like that's how it flourishes. That's why you put a plant under the counter and then close it up. It'll die. There's no light. But the light, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And that's how God, the new creation is like that too. The new creation is just simply supposed to behold Him. And as you received Him, walking in Him, how do we receive Him? The light. We believe the light. How do we walk in Him? We fast in the light. We behold the light. And so what happens is the mind is renewed as we continue to behold Him in our inner man, Paul says. Behold Him in your inner man. Let the light shine, the glory of Christ, the light of the glory of Christ, His goodness, His love, His, his, uh, his belovedness, his, in Him telling you that you're beloved, that you are His beloved, that I am yours and you are mine. See, bask in that, bask in that life. And the mind is renewed, and what happens is fruit is born. Flowers come out first, because this is a romance. Flowers come out first. Before the fruit. Flowers and fragrance comes out first. And then after the flower, the fruit. God's not into sweat. <laughs> He's not into sweat. He's into, He's into rest. He's into beholding Him. He's into receiving from Him. I love what Clark says all the time. We must be good receivers. Good receivers. See, it goes back to the very first thing I said about how to preach the gospel. We shouldn't tell people to do, but to receive. So simply believe and receive. See? And as we received Him, so walk ye in Him. He's not a used car salesman that's going to bait you and then switch. There's no bait and switch. He's not going to bait you in, oh, it's awesome, it's all of grace, and then when you get, you get in, it's like, oh, now I expect this, I expect this, I expect this. Yeah. No. It's a romance from beginning to end. Yeah. It's awesome. Praise yeah. God. Okay, let's go real quick. Then, look at four, uh, day four, verse 14. 
Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. I love that. He made the stars also. <laughs> Hubble telescope is showing us these awesome stars and galaxies. And we have a line that says, oh, you made the stars also. <laughs> He's so awesome. He made the stars awesome. Verse 17. And God placed them on the expanse of the in the expanse of the heavens. This is the second heaven. In the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Okay, this is cool. What this is talking about, saints. The first three days talk about your experience in receiving Christ, the good news of forgiveness in His life, born from above, bearing fruit as we grow in Him. The fourth day talks more about your calling. It's the beginning revelation of your calling, my calling. The Son represents God. The moon represents actually Christ himself as a man. Remember the thing we talked about a while back about the sun and the moon appear as exactly the same size as viewed from the earth? Because the sun is a picture of God because the earth revolves around the sun. So it's a picture of the sun being, or the earth being subservient to the sun. The moon revolves around the earth, so the moon is a picture of man. So this picture in the heavens. God making the greater like the sun and the lesser like the moon exactly the same size as viewed from the earth was speaking of this awesome work that was coming that God would become a man. That the, the light of the sun would, be in, would, be, would fit inside the shape of a man. The fullness of a Godhead bodily in Christ. And he announced it for years, for centuries. This is what this is coming. This is coming. And even the darkness of the eclipse is a picture of the purpose of his coming. It's a picture of his death, why he would come. And that's what happened on the cross. The true eclipse happened. A great darkness fell upon the land when Jesus died, when he was on the cross. Great darkness. The true eclipse was happening, of which the sun and moon was just a picture. The real darkness, where he took our death and our judgment for our sin. Awesome. And also how the eclipse ends and the darkness goes away and the moon moves away and it's like a new day. The sun shines. It's a whole new day. A new reality on the other side of the cross. But what this is saying about you and I as far as our calling it says the, the lights govern or rule. This speaks of the authority that God has given his sons and daughters. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, he says. I give you my authority in my name. Go forth. The moon is referred to as the faithful witness in the scriptures. The faithful witness. The faithful witness means the moon is faithful, has been faithful to reflect the light of the sun for centuries. That's what you and I do. We have no light in and of ourselves. We're like the moon. But we reflect the sun. The light from God comes and through us. We're the faithful witness on earth. So that even though the earth is in darkness, 
You, the church, the bride of Christ, stands in the darkness and says, even though you don't see it, there's a sun on the other side. And we're reflecting the reality of it. The light on the moon is actually a reflection of a sun that's bright on the other side in China, even though you're in darkness over here in Florida. Isn't that awesome? That's what you are. You and I, we are the faithful witness. And we reflect the light from another realm to a, a world in darkness. The faithful witness. And it's an authority. That's why the scripture uses govern. We have an authority from Christ to go and speak truth into the darkness. In fact, Revelation says of this, this awesome sign in Revelation 12, where John saw this woman clothed with the sun, with her feet on the moon. That's you, the bride of Christ. See, the, on the moon, the faithful witness, that's the bride. Clothed with God's glory and His righteousness, but standing on the moon because that's who she is, the faithful witness. Isn't that awesome? So that's cool. day four is about our authority in Christ. And saints, I want to tell you something. This is really cool. Begin to see more and more how you do have His authority. So there's been weird teaching about the authority, you know, taking authority over this and taking authority over that. But ask the Spirit to teach us about this awesome truth that He's given you authority in His name. To ask for things. Very powerful. As part of your calling. To ask for things in His name. The Father will do it. Okay, that's authority. That's awesome. That's very important that God would even put that as one of the days. That He wants us to really see this. Jesus didn't release this authority until after His ascension. After He had come back and said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven. And on earth, I give you now this authority in my name. Go forth. It's awesome. It's very powerful. It's like we talked about the other day. You know, when God kind of whispered to me and said, when you pray in my name, it's like saying, use my credit card. It's like it's like that. It's like, you know, it's like you have Jesus' credit card. It doesn't matter how good you've been that day or how bad you've been that day or how you feel or if you, you feel moody or if it's, you know, raining outside or if it's cold outside or whatever the feelings or whatever the thoughts you got Use his credit card. Use his card in his name. By his authority. Because it's not about us. Like Peter said, do you think this man stands healed because of some holiness of my own? Or some piety of my own? Peter said, no, this man stands healed because of faith in Jesus. So it's not a faith in the name of Jesus. It's not about us at all. It's like, it's, that's why it's a freedom to be bold and use his authority. Don't feel like you're... You're not worthy about it, worthy to use it because of some situation or some bad decision. No, the authority remains. The favor remains. It's not based on our obedience. It's based on the obedience of one Christ. That, that very reality will bring us out of any slump or any fleshly struggle. It will bring us out. We go boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so and then day five. Oh, what time do we have? Oh, oh man, this is so, so this we've, is like a we've got till noon. This would be good to have a, a long series on this. Um, just real quick, I'll just wrap it up real quick, and then we'll look at the details more later. But day five is talking about God creates the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. The fish in the sea and the birds in the air. You now, as a son and daughter of God, with the authority of Christ, 
a faithful witness reflecting the truth of who Jesus is. You now are called to be fishers of men. You are called to turn fish into birds. You are called, God made fish with fins to resemble birds with feathers. It's, it's two realms. You are called to bring people out of one realm into another realm. So the picture there, I believe, is God saying, you as a faithful witness, as you proclaim the reality of Christ, people will hear and they will, in a, in a sense, become, they will be transformed as they believe from a fish to a bird. They will leave that realm of the water where they have to live, and that's the way they, they live, to a place where they would die in air, in the air. And their fins become feathers and wings, and they fly in the heavens. Isn't that awesome? So day five, day five is, is God's call to the, to the world to believe that all who believe might be transformed from a fish to a bird and be free and set free and live in another realm, another, another place. Day six is the final day where he creates all the animals, and the animals speak of all the characteristics of God, the lion, the eagle. The ox, all the characteristics of God are in the animals. And then, of course, he creates man. And man, the scripture says he created male and female, he created them. This is before he, the scripture talks about uh, Eve. Many people believe, and I tend to believe this, that when he created man in the beginning, he created him male and female. Man in the beginning was both male and female within just as God has characteristics of father and mother. Like Jeremy shared a while back about the full-breasted one. God Almighty in the Greek means the full-breasted one, the mother-nurturing one. See? So in the beginning, man was created with both male and female within him. The tender side of him and the strong side of him was in him. We even joke with that sometimes. Like, yeah, my tender side is over here, you know, my, my, my feminine side or whatever. It's really true. I love what God says. I'm going to have Adam name them. And whatever name he names them, that's their name. Because he gave Adam authority, see, over the earth. And so Adam would name these animals, and God says, oh, cool. Lion, I like that. Lion. See, Adam was lion. You know? And so he named all the animals, and God said, of all the animals, there's not a suitable helpmate for him. So God called Adam, caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, which is a picture of the death of Christ. And he took from his side the rib. From the rib... He fabricated the body, but he also took more than just ribs. He took the female part out of Adam. And he took the female part out of Adam and, and used the rib as the basic DNA to build another body. I help me. Woman, for she came out of man. And that's why when man and woman are joined together, the two shall become one again. Because you're desiring your other side of you. She's desiring the male part of her that she needs. You're desiring the female part that you need. As a man. And so the two shall become one. And so in that we see, in day six, the eternal purpose of God, that he seeks a bride. There's so much more that can be said about that. But day six is about the eternal purpose of God, that it is not good that man should be alone. God wants man with him, that many sons he might bring into glory. The bride and the lamb's wife. All the lamb's wife. One. And then, of course, day seven, he rested from all his work, which is a picture of faith. The true Sabbath rest is resting in what Jesus has done. He who believes enters into his rest, ceases from all his works as God did cease from him. And that's how we live this life. We live this life from the light in life as people who are in a place 
in God, bearing fruit as we bask in His glory, being lights to the world in darkness, a faithful witness, bringing fish out of the oceans and causing them to be birds by the gospel. And then the heart of it all is the eternal purpose. God just wants to be with us. Seven days of creation. And now we rest. We rest. Lord, thank you so much.